Lord, now as we prepare to receive your word, we do so with hearts full of expectation and gladness. For God, you've already met with us and spoken to us today. You've already confirmed your presence among us. And so, Jesus, we're here to just receive from you, from your hand today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jim Olson. I serve here as the senior pastor of Bethel for the past 22 years. And it's a great privilege and joy to serve in this growing family of believers here. And we're so glad that you've joined us today. You've come right in the midst of an ongoing series, which we began here in the month of July and will extend through the summer, entitled Kingdom Culture. And over these weeks, we are discovering together what it means as a people to live together in a kingdom culture. The calling here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is to radiate life and joy as a house of prayer for all nations. I believe the most recent count was that we have folks from 28 different nations who worship here as a part of the Bethel family. We're also a family of churches, in fact, a growing family of churches. Beginning in August, we'll be welcoming our newest uh, church family, uh, International Christian Fellowship, which will be led by Pastor Justin Baikwelli, who brought us the word last week. Uh, they'll be meeting on Sunday evenings here, and that will be uh, now our eighth congregation as part of our family of churches. And uh, yesterday morning, I'm telling you, it was joyous to be together with all of the congregations who worship here. Uh, six, six of those congregations worship together here in this house at various points during the day and week. And uh, we were all together, and it was um, hmm, it was just really a profoundly uh, uh, good time to just uh, hear the hearts of one another and to uh, discover how we can live together in peace and, and prosperousness in the spirit. And um, it was really, really, really fun. I was reminded this week, I shared with the elders, we had an elders meeting Thursday night, and many of you will remember this. Um, years and years ago, Pastor Carol, who served as our executive pastor for many years, um, had a word of encouragement, a prophetic word to us that she brought, and it was kind of in the context of even some of the building remodeling that we were doing, the refurbishing, and the word that she had was companies coming. And uh, yesterday, uh, or this past week, as I was reflecting, just and, and Thursday night the Lord brought that back at the elders' meeting, and I heard the Lord say, "Companies here, companies here." And aren't you glad? And what a joy to see all of the bands of youth from all of our family of churches heading up to camp last week. Uh, like I said, we had a contingent of, I think it ended up being 50, maybe even 51, I think, by the time everybody got there um, for camp this past week. And uh, it's so amazing to just watch what God is doing. And what we're discovering together here as a family of churches and as a church family here at Bethel Christian Fellowship is that God is inviting us to something to, to something which actually transcends our human cultures. There is a kingdom culture which transcends all earthly cultures and transforms our cultural worldview values and practices. We need to recognize together that there is a kingdom culture that transcends and transforms our earthly cultures. Each and every one of us here have a culture out of which we have been immersed and come from 
which that culture informs so much about, unconsciously even, about who we are and how we live our lives. And we need, as Romans 12.2 instructs us, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, do not be shaped by your earthly culture alone, but rather we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's what Jesus said in Mark 1.15. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So if you and I are to experience transformation, there are two components to that transformation. Repentance and believing. We need to acknowledge the sinfulness and brokenness of our lives. We need to acknowledge the sinfulness and brokenness of the cultures from which we have come from. And we need to believe in the kingdom of God and Jesus the King at the center of that kingdom and the culture that He desires to inculcate into our very being. Repent and believe. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Now, the context of culture, we've talked about this, but I want to remind us because it's very significant and important for us in the process of going through this repentance and believing through this transformational process. Let's understand for a moment that there are different components to cultural context. At the external, we have those practices that are simply a part of our you know, daily lives, which are the most visible expressions of culture. Sometimes people kind of narrow it down to the three F's of food, fashion, and festivals, all right? So the things that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the ways in which we celebrate and, and sort of do life, those are the practices which are a part of our culture. Those are the most visible and, in many ways, the most simple things which we can understand or the ways that we begin to interact with other cultures is through those practices. But as you get to know someone, and, you know, I, I, I would continue to give a, I'd love to give a um, homework for us as a congregation um, in this call that we have to be a house, this hospitality call. I would encourage you to continue to interact. You know, there is marvelous opportunity right here, probably not too far from you, maybe a few seats over, that you can meet someone who comes from a different culture and as you begin to know people, as you begin to press into relationship, you move beyond those sort of external practices and you begin to understand that there are particular values that underlie some of those practices. We've talked about some of those things. We've talked about time. We've talked about authority. We've talked about um, different ways in which we understand various issues. And, and a lot of times, again, these kinds of things, when we get to values, we're starting to move towards things that are below the surface. They're kind of unconscious. And yet, um, particularly the way you can notice what a value is if somebody bumps up against your value and does something in a way that kind of maybe actually even sometimes might irritate that or create a little tension within you. That means that probably you have 
rubbed up against a value. But underneath, and kind of the great iceberg underneath even practices and values, is our worldview. And our worldview is simply the way in which we look at life. The way we understand the way things work. The way things really ought to be. You know, if the world would only cooperate with Jim's worldview, we'd all be happier. Okay? Yeah. Drink the Kool-Aid. That's right. Things would all be done orderly. Everything would be in its place. You know, weeds would stop growing. All kinds of things would happen, all right? So a worldview, and this is a wonderful, simple definition, is a set of presuppositions or assumptions that we hold consciously or more often subconsciously about the basic makeup of our world. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. For example... Um, We have a worldview in the U.S. that is different than a worldview in other parts of the world when it comes to issues of, for example, disease. In America, when somebody gets sick, the question is, what caused that illness? What is the, you know, we're looking for the underlying cause by asking the question, what? In many other parts of the world, The underlying presupposition, the worldview is, when someone is sick, who caused that illness? Who? Not what? That's a worldview assumption. One better, one worse, different. We come back to kingdom culture. Kingdom kingdom culture actually sort of outside of where we're going today. Well, actually, it's sort of with, you know, the, 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 the biblical worldview of who we are as human beings is a very integrated worldview. That you can't really separate out completely physical from soul, from spirit. And that all three of those have a, are, are in play when we talk about illness. That all three of those may be affecting what's going on in our life. Right? Okay, is this making sense? Okay, I'm giving this as preview because this is going to be very important when we get to where we're going this morning. And we're going to get there in just a moment. So hang with me for just a moment longer because this, this is crucial for understanding and back to that worldview that there's a kingdom culture which transcends, a worldview of kingdom culture that transcends ours. Because... This is specifically related to what the Lord wants to speak to us about this morning. There are some particular things about the Western worldview, and these are mostly fairly obvious, uh, things that you've heard before, but let me remind you. These are part of the Western worldview makeup. One is that there is, it, it is militantly secular. The frame of reference, secularism simply means that the frame of ref, reference is entirely this worldly, that there is a, it's closed off from any divine intervention. In other words, um, in a secular worldview, it's only about this world. There is nothing, there is nothing sacred. There is nothing beyond this world. And that's kind of um, uh, reinforced by materialism, which says that nothing exists except matter and its movement and modifications. Only what is seen, tested, and proved is real. We live in an incredibly materialistic culture. We think of that typically materialism. We're thinking in terms of and, and uh, we're t- thinking in terms of the symptoms, which is the one with the most toys at the end wins. Because if only that which is material is important then the more materials I have, the more successful I am. Do you understand how the worldview affects the practices by which we live? There is a direct connection between what's going on 
in the interior places of our lives and the external parts of our lives. Many of us, coming back to secularism for a moment, many of us are practical atheists. We may say that we believe in God, but when it comes to actual, the way in which we live our lives, we live as if he really doesn't intervene in our daily life and world. You get this? People understanding. All right. Rationalism, this is another part of our Western worldview, seeks a rational explanation for all experience, making reason the chief guide of all in all matters of life, which means rationalism has to do with our minds and that has to do with our mindsets. And so what we can, again, understand rationally with our minds and if it is beyond our rational mind to be able to figure out what do we call it? Irrational. You believe what? Sometimes you hear it when, you know, you, the, sort of the people, you know, you kind of hear, anytime a public figure says something about hearing from God, how do people respond to that? Uh-huh. So how long have you been hearing voices? Right? Because... There's an underlying worldview. Now, those are three common ones. I'd like to add one more that's maybe not so common, and I'm just going to put it up there for your uh, discernment. But, But here's, I think, another worldview in our particular Western worldview that that is more and more, at least something that I see as more and more prevalent and directly affects what we're going to be speaking about this morning, and that is escapism. Escapism replaces genuine supernatural experiences with artificial experiences via entertainment. We live in a society where people are spending, I mean, I don't know, I think, I I don't want to misquote statistics, but I, I hear things like eight hours a day of screen time that children typically have probably not just children, but adults as well, an enormous amount of that screen time is spent seeking what I would call artificial experiences because because in underlying in the worldview is those that's the only way we can actually experience something beyond ourselves is artificially that there aren't any real, true genuine divine experiences that we can have. So we sort of try to manipulate things out here because the internal reality that just doesn't actually exist. Does this make sense? All right. Well, our key scripture that we've been working with throughout this particular series and will continue to unfold over the next several weeks is from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, which is the scripture which sort of describes for us the early church right after its birth on the day of Pentecost. And remember in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus spoke with his disciples and taught them about the kingdom of God. And now what I am suggesting is that they received that teaching and began to live it out in their life together. They began to actually live a kingdom culture reality. It says in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the breaking of to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, there's four components that we looked at, and as Pastor Justin mentioned so well last week, actually in terms of the conjunction, they are, they are integrally related to one another, but for the purposes of 
fully describing and understanding our kingdom culture, we've sort of taken each of those apart. And over the last four weeks, and you can get the CDs back here if you've missed those, or you can go onto the website, which is located in your bulletin there, and find and download by going to the media. You can get any of these messages, and we encourage you to do so. We looked at, first of all, in terms of the apostles' teaching, that they were living within the context of a kingdom culture that was a culture of living truth. In terms of the fellowship, it was a culture of koinonia, and really that Greek word is the best word to describe what they were experiencing, and I unpacked that at length um, a few weeks back here. Then there was a culture of covenant. The breaking of bread not only meant the breaking of bread as in eating meals together, though they did, but also is a reference to them sharing in the Lord's Supper. And we talked about the Lord's Supper and baptism and the context of living in a culture of covenant together. And then Pastor Justin shared with us last week about the, the, they devoted themselves to prayer and that that was an integral part of koinonia, an integral part of breaking bread together there was a culture of dependence that began to develop within them. And again, that cuts very cross-culturally to our Western worldview, which is a culture of what? Independence. We have a declaration of independence. And so frequently I take us through a declaration of dependence because that's where we want to be. And actually that culture of dependence is partly and connected to the koinonia because it develops the culture of interdependence with one another. Now this morning we're going to go on to Acts 2.43 where it says everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I just want to make note of one thing before we press into this. I'll I'll tell you, and you've seen it in the bulletin already. So we're going to be talking about a culture of all. And I just want to make note of one thing here that is actually significant and important. I... I don't try to drop Greek stuff on you to tell you how educated I am, but I just get excited when I'm doing study and I discover something and I hear something that I've not fully grasped before. And so I want you to grasp this because I think it's important. That word everyone, everyone actually means entirety. So it's not only speaking about quantity, it's speaking about quality. What it really means is that every person was entirely filled with awe. Their whole being. I mean, it's really a very strong word. So everyone was completely and entirely filled with awe. At the many wonders and signs. Formed by the apostles. Okay, let's unpack this. A culture of awe. Awe. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Right up front, at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see a twofold pattern unfolding. And that twofold pattern of ministry was this proclamation, then demonstration. Proclamation, then the confirmation of demonstration. In Acts 2.22, Peter, in his great Pentecost sermon, writes the same, or or, or speaks the same reality. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. The demonstration attests 
to the credibility of the proclamation. The demonstration attests to, the word there is, in some of your translations, Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you or accredited to you. In other words, his credentials were confirmed to you because he wasn't just saying words. There was a reality behind those words which confirmed the things that were being spoken. The Apostle Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So it's not only words. Words are important. They're significant. They're a part. The proclamation is essential. The demonstration is that which attests to that which God has spoken. Now, those of you that have been around for a while, and some of you have been around for a long while with me, you've seen this particular diagram before, but it's very helpful to kind of understand, give some, and again, I'm not trying to be, just hang with me, I'm not trying to give you boring theological stuff so that, you know, you'll go into a deep slumber before the Lord. But I need us to, I mean, we need to have, if there's going to be a transformation by the renewing of our mind, we need to understand some things so that that transformation can begin to happen deeply within our spirit. So sometimes grasping a concept will help you begin to shift some foundation stones internally. That's what I'm after, okay? So, this present kingdom began with the fall, uh, really in, the, in, in, in Genesis, when um, sin came into the world and this present kingdom began, all right? And this present kingdom has a ruler. The ruler is the prince of darkness. You know, it, it says in the scripture that he rules over the air. So there's, there's a, there's a, there's, there is a ruler in this present kingdom, all right? Now, when Jesus first came, when Jesus came, Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus came to earth, and he pre, you know, we just said it, the kingdom of God is near, he inaugurated, introduced the kingdom to come. All right? So the kingdom to come began with Jesus' first coming. When Jesus comes again in his second coming, that will be the consummation of his kingdom and this present kingdom as we know it here in earthly world reality will come to an end. And in between, the church lives out its reality in the conflict between these two kingdoms. Between the inauguration of the kingdom of God and the consummation of the kingdom of God. It's like, and a great illustration of that is from World War II, it's the time between D-Day and V-Day. When D-Day happened, by all intents and purposes, World War II was done. But it didn't finish and end until V-Day when the final peace treaties. And guess what? Between D-Day and V-Day, more people lost their lives than at any other point in the war. Because that's when the conflict gets hottest. So we are living, you and I, the church together, we are living in the conflict between these two kingdoms. This present kingdom and the kingdom to come. And that's why if you feel unsettled, in fact, last week, um, I, I shared, Annette and I had the same experience, and I shared with Pastor Ben, and he had the same experience. It felt, we were just feeling like this past week, we were feeling like there was, uh, like the collision of a, a, a high-pressure system and a low-pressure system, or a, a, you know, a, um, a cold front and a warm front. When they come together, there's a lot of dynamic release. There's a lot of dynamic in the conflict between these two kingdoms. 
So if you experience at various times unsettledness within yourself, don't be surprised. Because you're living in the context of a kingdom conflict. And it's contested ground. But I have some good news for you. Luke 9 tells us that when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. I want you to notice the three verbs that are in there. First of all, he called them. That speaks about our position in Christ. We have authority. In the middle of the kingdom conflict, you and I have an authority not because of ourselves, but because of our position in Christ and His calling on our lives. Secondly, He gave. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. That means that you and I have been given abilities by the Spirit of God to do the things that He has called us to do in the midst of the kingdom conflict in which we live. And thirdly, He sent them to do the purposes of the Father. We have authorization from Him. We've got the papers to prove that we've been authorized to do the purposes of the Father. So Jeannie, when you go out today, you're going in the authority and ability and authorization of our triune God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's called you. He's, he's given you, and He's sending you. And the same is true for you tomorrow morning at work. And at school. And in your neighborhood. And in your home. He's called you, He's given you, and He's sent you to be an influencer in the kingdom. Very truly, now this is Jesus' words, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Anything in my name. When we're doing it in the name of Christ, we're doing it under the authorization of those things that He has said yes to. And the greater things is because as we, and He says they will do, He's speaking to us corporately. When Jesus was here on this earth, He self-limited Himself to a singular human body who walked around in a geographic area that was actually quite confined. But here we are in the uttermost parts of the earth about as far away as we can get from ancient Israel as we can get and we are doing those works. The body of Christ has been given authority and ability and authorization. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was entirely filled, completely filled. All right, a quick definition. What's a wonder? Wonder causes one to ask questions about the nature of the reality of the kingdom of God. When we talk about wonders and signs, a wonder causes us to wonder. I wonder what that means. I wonder how that happened. It's a wonder. It causes us to ask questions. A sign points towards the reality of the kingdom of God and attests to its nature. A sign is a pointer. It's not a destination. 
It is a pointer towards a destiny. Here's here's just a, a word of counsel to us. Sometimes people get distracted by or caught by the wonders and signs thinking that they are the end itself. They're not the end itself. They're a means towards pointing us towards genuine kingdom reality, which brings us right back to the feet of the king. Wonders and signs bring us back to greater adoration of our king. All right? Awe is an awareness of God and the reality of his kingdom which engenders deep respect and reverence in a person's entire being. And that awe begins to spread to others. Some of your translations will say everyone was filled with fear. And that fear speaks of that deep respect and reverence. And and in a culture of escapism, of rationalism and materialism and secularism, I believe that when a kingdom culture of awe begins to prevail, a people, that will begin to, by its very nature, begin to change the atmosphere of our communities. One of the things that is a a deep desire of mine and of the leadership of this congregation is that God would engender within us a deep respect and reverence for the Lord. Which, by the way, is not the polar opposite of freedom and joy. They are integrally connected with one another. It's a posture of the heart of respect and reverence. In Acts 9.31, it tells us, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear or the awe of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit increased in number. There's something magnetic about awe of the Lord. There's something magnetic when a people of God begin to experience the reality of the kingdom in such a way that there is a deep respect and reverence that is worked into their entire being. I want to close here with this. What is the key that unlocks this culture of awe? What is it that begins to, to, to release this culture among us? What is it that will release this, the, the, the empowerment of the Lord among us? What, what releases those wonders, those signs, those things that begin to, to cause us to to interact with at a much more deep level than we have before with the reality of the kingdom of God, I would say that the key to unlocking this culture of awe is expectation. Because expectation is absolutely intricately connected with your worldview. What do you expect? If the world exists only in what I can see and touch and hold and carry, if 
the world exists with only what I can understand rationally with my own mind, if the world exists only in this world without any divine intervention, then I will have no expectation that the reality of the kingdom might actually break into my life. I'll have no expectation that he could actually intervene in my life. But if my worldview begins to be shaped by what I find here, and I begin to crack open the inmost parts of my heart to allow the Lord to begin to transcend and transform my own particular worldview, I will find and discover that He will do things above and beyond that which I could ever even imagine or ask. That's what it says. Ephesians 3. Then was able to do immeasurably above and beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. No matter how big your dream is, let me tell you, God's got a lot bigger one. And much of what we need to, you know, much of the transformation that needs to happen in our lives is allowing Him to break out of the boxes of our particular carefully constructed worldviews to begin to allow Him to transform us from the inside out. This is why Jesus, I believe, in His teaching on prayer, taught us to pray. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of expectation. In fact, that's a great way to pray into when you don't know how to pray for something or somebody or some situation. Simply pray, Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You you can't get better than that, that. Jesus taught us to pray that. It's okay to pray that. You can actually pray written prayers. That's a written prayer. You don't have to come up with all kinds of new fancy language. Just pray, your kingdom come! Your will be done. That's one that I got agreement. There's authorization to pray that. I don't have to wonder. I don't know how I should pray about this. Right there. Get it? Worship team, come on up as I put up this last scripture. It's the end of the Gospel of Mark. Mark 16, Jesus gives them this commission. He said to them, go into all of the world and preach the Gospel to all of creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons and they will speak in new tongues. By the way, that's... I'm telling you, when I'm praying for people, I, I probably pray more in my prayer language than I do in English. My, my native language. It's just, yeah, it's easier. It's, it's clearer. It's, um, for me, it just takes off the encumbrances of my head, which I get lots of thoughts and they sometimes get in the way. But when I'm just praying in my tongue, in my prayer language, it, it, it opens up something in my spirit and it's a powerful way to pray. I encourage you, in addition to thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You don't know what to pray. Just begin to pray in your prayer language. 
Because that's your spirit and God's spirit communicating directly and clearly, and something will be released. And by the way, if you're struggling with a box of a worldview, invite the Lord to just intersect your life. And let me tell you, one of the ways which will break some things open in your life is when you receive the gift of a prayer language. It'll, it'll open things up in you and up in your spirit. So feel free to ask the Lord for that gift from him. Ask him to intersect your life with his spirit. They will pick up snakes with their hands. When they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. There it is. Proclamation. Demonstration. We're going to be doing waiting here for you again. In just a moment. As a, the, the waiting, implicit in waiting. Waiting, here is what waiting is not. And those of you that will be listening to this online, well, you'll have to figure out what I'm doing. But this is not waiting. I wonder when he'll be done. I wonder when I can go home and eat lunch and watch the Olympics. <sighs> is it a sign that he's sitting down? What does that mean? Are we any closer to the end? You know, waiting is not passive. It's not just marking time. Waiting is a, there's a living expectation. There's a hope. There's a longing. There's a hungering and a thirsting. There's a there's a pressing through and pressing in. It's part of waiting. It's directly connected with the expectation. When it says wait, it says that the literal translation of that and the words there is, is wait with expectation. So when we sing waiting here for you, with our hands lifted high, it's not, you know, waiting for this song to be done. How many times are they going to sing it? It's waiting here for you with my hands lifted high because, you know what, that's a biblical posture of surrender. It's waiting with the expectation. It's like when my kids, you know, when, when my kids were little and they'd just run up to me and they'd put their hands up. Every parent knows what that means. It means pick me up. And when we wait here for him with our hands lifted up, it's with an expectation. And this morning, the cry of my heart this week and the cry of my heart for this body is that I'm really not interested in just talking and just having some great, hopefully helpful words for us. But, you know, I'm asking the Lord to confirm today what He's been speaking to us. That's my expectation today. And if you have need this morning, I don't know what that would look like. And we heard a word this morning. God was already confirming, speaking prophetically through Scripture and the Scripture that Liz read earlier and the, and the confirmation that Millie brought related to that word. Jesus is here today to, to help, to bring hope, to heal, to deliver, to save, 
to reconcile, for peace, for provision. He's here for empowerment so that you might do what He's called you to do. Pastor Lidovic already gave us that encouragement. He's here to to empower. You've been standing at a threshold and you're stuck. It's time to break through. You've been confined. It's time to dream again. It's time for things that have been sort of dormant to be stirred up. And I want to remind you as you go this morning that you have been given specifically from the Lord Himself. You have been given authority and ability and authorization tomorrow in your workplace. Today, in your neighborhood, in your home. If you would just open your hands to receive benediction from the Lord today. Just open your hands, please. And now I pray that you might be filled. To all the fullness with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength, power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours as you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations. Go in the goodness and grace of the Lord with the banner of His favor over your lives until we gather again either in this house or in our eternal home. I bless you, people of God, Bethel Christian Fellowship and beyond. Go with the awe of the Lord filling your entire being. In Jesus' name, amen.